the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob Fratz Authority on AM 1420. The answer. It is indeed the Bob France Authority as the marathon continues now at seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Wednesday morning, the 29th morning of the eighth month of the year of our Lord, 2018. Thanks so much for being a part of the uh, program today and getting your day started with us. If you are just joining us, outstanding. If you have been with us through the Hugh Hewitt Show, well, then you've been with me through the Hugh Hewitt Show. The mini marathon continues now. It'll be five hours in total by the time we're done at 11 o'clock. And, um... I'm going to run the risk of redundancy. I apologize in advance for it if you heard the discussion already, but I want to hear from more people. Uh, I spent a great deal of time on the program this morning on Hugh Hewitt discussing the crisis of the Catholic Church. And it is at the risk of sounding melodramatic or hyperbolic, um, it is a crisis. It's my church. I am a Catholic. I'm questioning my commitment to my church because of the either lack of leadership within my church or the corrupt leadership within my church. And when I say my church, I don't mean my parish. I mean the church uh, writ large. Uh, Let me explain. And by the way, I certainly do not intend to ignore the political news of the day. Some very, very big races yesterday <clears throat> nationwide, or rather around the country, uh, especially in Florida and in, in Arizona. Some results that are uh, very, very encouraging if you are a believer in the conservative cause and the conservative movement. Some really, really encouraging results. The president showing he still has a lot of pull and a lot of authority when it comes to endorsing candidates and getting them elected, uh, so, or at least winning primaries. So that's a very, very good thing. Uh, I will not ignore that, nor will I ignore 
MS, or excuse me, MSNBC and CNN, mostly CNN, um, and they're indescribable, unimaginable, indefensible stance in defense of Antifa. Actually defending the violent actions of Antifa. We heard Cuomo do that just a few short weeks ago, or I'm sorry, about a week ago, week and a half ago, I think is probably uh, more accurate. We heard Chris Cuomo defending Antifa and the right to punch people as long as you don't like them. If you think they're Nazis, not all punches are equal. Some punches are justifiable morally and otherwise. Uh, yeah, it, they've doubled and tripled down on that by way of a panel discussion. I don't want to ignore that today either. Uh, so I do want to get to those things. We are going to talk about a local race as well in the second hour of the program at about 1035. We're going to talk about the race for Cuyahoga County Executive. Democrat Armin Butish currently holds that office. He is up for re-election, and there is a challenge. There is a credible Republican challenge, and that comes from Peter Corrigan. Uh, Peter Corrigan, uh, I met with a couple of days ago to talk about this, and I feel as though he has got a very, very strong and solid platform and a message to share with Cuyahoga County voters about the direction of the county about waste, fraud, corruption, and abuse in the county. And uh, all of those things are going to be discussed when Peter Corrigan joins me at about 1035. So I'm very much looking forward to that. But I do want to start talking, as I have been talking all morning long, about the Catholic Church. A few days ago, Archbishop and Cardinal Vagano um, wrote an 11-page letter, essentially, um, a memo to the faithful, Um, condemning the leadership of the church, including leadership above him at the papal level, talking about Pope Francis, for what can only be described really as unimaginable crimes committed against children. And the crimes against children committed by pedophile priests is exceeded only by the cover-up of those crimes by bishops, cardinals, and other high-ranking church officials. One particular uh, archbishop, again, Archbishop uh, Vigano, laid it all out and said, we cannot allow this. We cannot uh, turn away from this. Not only did it happen, cover-ups happened. And not only did cover-ups happen, um, essentially signing off on those cover-ups happened at the highest levels of the church, including speaking about Pope Francis. Vigano's statement has been condemned by some on the Catholic left. Now, that's a term that may may or may not be commonly used, but it's the only one that I can come up with right now. There is a Catholic left. It's very sad when 2018 politics, modern politics, invades the Catholic Church to the point where there is a Catholic, Catholic left and a Catholic right. But it's there. And when you listen and you read and, and you also read between the lines of some of the messages that have been given by some of the Catholic leadership, you understand exactly where we are coming from here. There are some who are defending Pope Francis against allegations that he holds responsibility for failing to hold to account uh, some of those who are responsible for the sexual abuse of kids and those who covered it up, that Pope Francis uh, bears responsibility for that. 
and they are being dismissed. Those who are making that claim and making those allegations are being dismissed as just being partisans who want to get rid of a liberal pope and replace him with a conservative pope. They're accusing those who want to hold the church accountable at its highest levels of simply of simply trying to play politics. That's what the defenders of Pope Francis are doing. They are accusing those who want to see the church cleaned up and the church held accountable at all levels of accountability, including criminal accountability, if necessary and if possible, if statutes of limitations for crimes committed against these kids have not expired. They're accusing us, because I'm one of them, who want accountability and responsibility, not of caring about the children, not of caring about the kids whose very identities and self-worth may have been affected in very, very dangerous ways as they have grown up in the church and grown up having suffered and endured those abuses, even if they are adults today and who may seem on the outside no worse for the wear, but very, very clearly and obviously, according to anyone and everyone with any knowledge or understanding of the psychology behind uh, the sexual abuse of children, all of these people have been affected in incredibly profound ways. We're not concerned about them or that, according to the defenders of the Pope and some of the archbishops at the uh, highest level. We're just concerned about politics, and looking for a conservative pope because we don't like gay people being in the Catholic Church or we don't like divorced people being in the Catholic Church. Reuters reported on this from the from uh, Vatican City. Supporters of Pope Francis have rushed to his defense after a former top Vatican official launched an unprecedented attack, they're calling it, on him. A move, they say, dangerously escalates a campaign to weaken his papacy by conservatives who condemn him as too liberal. Again, just the... It's 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 really, and I'm struggling both to find the right words and also to control my my disgust and my anger at such a sentiment. The idea that we are trying to turn this into political gain by way of the church, as opposed to actually being genuinely concerned about children and not only the past abuses of children by sexually active pedophile priests, but the potential future. Of this, if we don't clean up the church now, the idea that that's not our concern, that our concern is conservative politics, is is insulting. It's insulting at the highest level. Back to Reuters, Francis's supporters say the accusations in Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano's 11-page public statement aimed to pave the way for conservative pope, a conservative pope, to succeed him, who would reverse his openings to divorced and homosexual Catholics. In the statement published over the weekend, Vagano, the former Vatican ambassador to Washington, called on Francis to resign on the grounds that the Pope knew for years about the sexual misconduct of at least one American cardinal and did nothing. Vagano said he told the Pope himself five years ago, little more than three months after Francis' election, to succeed Benedict. He included no supporting documents in the statement. On his flight home from Ireland on Sunday, Pope Francis told reporters he would not say one word about these accusations. He's remaining silent. He said, read the document carefully, talking about Vigano's 11-page letter. Read the document carefully and judge for yourselves. Supporters say the statement contains holes and contradictions. 
But Vigano's supporters in Italy and abroad praised the former diplomat in following his conscience and taking the unprecedented step of challenging and calling for the resignation of the Pope. Vigano is a loyal churchman, said George Weigel, senior fellow in Catholic studies at the Ethics and Public Policy Center in Washington, D.C., and if he, is making, if he is making these allegations now and calling for Francis's resignation, it is for the gravest reasons. Now, what have been the responses of the Pope's supporters? In typical political fashion, again, acknowledging, am I, the oddity of politics and the church having to intersect as directly as they are. You know, we've always hoped and and perhaps seen our church as being apolitical. It's about morality, the laws of God, not the laws of man. Ideology and philosophy of Jesus Christ and his teachings, not ideology and philosophy of human political um, uh, battles. That we've seen the church as, as being a different entity. We fight politics during the week, and then on Sunday we go to church and escape from that and just turn it over to God. That's how we've always seen it. But now here it is, the intersection of the the political world and our church. The most staunch defender of Pope Francis against these allegations has turned out to be the Archbishop of Chicago, Cardinal Supich, Blaise Supich, decided that those who are criticizing Pope Francis right now are doing so Because they're racists. In true liberal political fashion, they're defending Pope Francis by saying those who criticize him are criticizing him because of race. The record shows that whenever there's actionable information, Pope Francis acts. Quite frankly, they also don't like him because he's a Latino. Quite frankly, they also don't like him because he's a Latino. It's the, it's the last card at the deck. It's the bottom of the deck, right? The race card. We're not concerned about protecting innocent children from the sexual molestation they have suffered at the hands of pedophiles. We're not trying to stop that horrific history of pedophilia among clergy members from continuing into the future, no, we just don't want a Latino Pope. On its face, that is a horrific allegation to make. It's insulting to all of us who are looking out for the children. It's also factually inaccurate. The Pope isn't a Latino. Is it that difficult to research the Pope's heritage? Pope Francis grew up in Argentina, yes. But he was not born to Argentinians or anyone else of Latino or Hispanic descent. He was born to two Italian parents. Pope Francis is Italian, not Latino. Not only are they playing the race card, they're playing it inaccurately. He is not a Latino. And if you think that's the worst thing they could say in defense of Pope Francis in this scandal, you'd be wrong. I'll share with you the worst thing that this, uh, this cardinal, the Archbishop of Chicago, I'll share with you the worst part of this.
coming up. If you heard it uh, during Hugh Hewitt, stay with us. It's important you should hear it again. But if you did not hear it when I was on for Hugh over the last three hours, um, this is going to shock you. We'll talk about that as we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. I um, opened up the phone lines during the Hugh Hewitt program today to Catholics. Not that I was excluding anyone else, but this is our church, and it affects us most directly. It affects our children most directly. So I kind of want to do the same thing in this program. 216-901-0945. We are guest-free for the next uh, hour plus. Uh, we have Peter Corrigan coming on at 1035. So between now and then, this is your chance. 216-901-0945 and 888 to talk about these issues plaguing our church. This um, pedophilia scandal, the uh, sexual abuse of children, and the widespread cover-up thereof, perhaps reaching as high as uh, the Pope. This is, this is challenging the church, and it's rocking it to its very foundation, and it's worth our discussion. Cardinal Vigano wrote that 11-page note saying that, yes, I let Pope Francis know about this. Pope Francis did not act upon this. As a matter of fact, the 11-page document specifically contains allegations that senior bishops and cardinals have been aware of the sexual abuse allegations against Archbishop Theodore McCarrick for more than a decade, and Vigano states, states that in 2009 or 2010, Pope Benedict imposed sanctions on McCarrick. Uh, McCarrick was forbidden from traveling and speaking in public. Vigano says that those uh, the, that these were communicated to McCarrick in a stormy meeting um, in Washington, D.C. by then-Nuncio Pietro Sambi. Vigano directly cites uh, Monsignor Lanthum as having told him about the encounter. And he essentially said that that conversation uh, lasting over an hour that Nuncio Sambi had with Cardinal McCarrick, whom he had summoned to the nun- uh, uh, Nunciature, and uh, my pronunciation of some of these Italian words is probably lacking, apologies, but Monsignor, Monsignor Lanthum said that Nuncio's voice could be heard all the way out in the corridor in his dressing down of McCarrick. And Vigano's statement essentially says that the... The um, limitations, if you will, we can't really call it a suspension, but the the limitations placed in terms of traveling and speaking in public, this this punishment, if you will, of McCarrick, was essentially uh, ignored by Pope Francis. The full text of Vagano's statement lists numerous senior curial cardinals during the last three pontificates as being aware of McCarrick's alleged predatory behavior, but either failing to act or in some cases deliberately acting to cover up McCarrick's alleged crimes. Vigano says he met McCarrick in June of 2013 and was told by then Cardinal, uh, told by the then Cardinal, quote, the Pope received me yesterday, tomorrow I'm going to China. In a subsequent meeting with Francis, Vigano says he warned the Pope about the long list of allegations against McCarrick, but that the Holy Father did not respond. And by not responding and allowing him to travel to China, he, would, he was essentially lifting the restrictions placed upon McCarrick by Pope Benedict, who preceded Francis. So all of this is going on, these allegations against the Pope and some of the highest levels of church leadership, and the defense of the Pope from those who support him and his, again, here's the political element to this, his liberal turn for the Catholic Church, The defense is that the Pope is busy. 
He doesn't have time to be chasing down this rabbit hole, the allegations of sexual abuse. We got immigrants to defend and we got climate change to deal with. No, he said this. The Archbishop of Chicago, Blaise Supich. The Pope has a bigger agenda. He's got to get on with other things of talking about the environment and uh, protecting uh, migrants and carrying on the work of the church. We're not going to go down a rabbit hole on this. Prioritizing the papal itinerary. One, protecting migrants. Two, protecting climate change or stopping climate change, protecting the environment. Three, the rabbit hole and all these kids who have been abused sexually by priests. That's what the Archbishop of Chicago said. It's the same Archbishop who declared that if you criticize Pope Francis on these matters, it's because you don't like Latinos, even though Pope Francis is Italian. Much more coming up, including your responses at 216-901-0945 after the news on AM 1420, The Answer. There are two sides to every story. There's the mainstream media side, and then there's the truth. You are experiencing the truth. The Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Indeed, that's what we try to bring you each and every day on the Bob France Authority. And it's really sad that the truth today uh, hits us squarely between the eyes, especially for those of us who are Catholic. Uh, And that's what we're talking about. Look, um, I was talking about this on Hugh's program, and and at the risk of beating a a dead horse here, uh, we're failing people. We're we're flawed. We're human. We're mortal. We we sin. We we fall short in so many ways of of God, uh, which we're supposed to. We're not God. There is but one God. And in our failings, we look to spiritual leaders, people who we deem to be closer to God, or those who help deliver God's word on earth. We look to members of our clergy, um, our pastors, priests, our bishops, our cardinals, our pope. Um, because while we are all fallible, they are perhaps a little bit you know, closer to you know, sharing the word of God with us because they have devoted their life to Christ. They have devoted their lives in service to God. It's why they don't marry. They don't have families. Uh, of their own, rather, other than the ones they came from, because they are devoted you know, um, uh, explicitly to the Lord. And we look to them for guidance and leadership. And when we find that our leadership is not only participating in the rampant sexual abuse of children, children that we as parents send to church to be with them in, in, in an effort to hope that they find spirituality, and a closer relationship with God and with the church through the time that they spend with a priest as altar boys, altar girls, and so on, as the church, of course, has changed. We find out that they're engaged in this and that their superiors are covering it up to protect the church, to protect its revenues, to protect its reputation, and allowing it thus to continue in other places. We don't know where else to turn. Again, I I, I spoke about this at length on Hugh's program. When 9-11 happened, how many of us looked to God and said, how could you allow that? 
How could you allow those planes to be steered by people uh, of, of unimaginable evil into those buildings? How could you allow those, that suffering to happen? How could you allow the suffering of the Holocaust? God, where were you when my, my loving mother died a slow, painful death of cancer? Lord, where were you when that three-year-old was killed in a traffic accident because of a drunk driver? We have those moments because we're failing people. And we're waiting for an answer. And we pray to God for an answer. Sometimes we get it. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we can understand it. Sometimes we can't. It's all interpretation because we don't have burning bushes in which we can hear the actual booming voice of God coming from above. We, we try to interpret the answers the best we can. And when we fall short of that, where do we go? We talk to our priests. We talk to people of the, of the cloth. And when we find out the people of the cloth are so politically motivated, so corrupted, perhaps, by either their own ambition or their own also human failings, their own sinful ways, where do we turn? All I know is that when an archbishop of one of the largest dioceses in the world, the Archbishop of Chicago, declares that sexual abuse of children is not something high on the priority list of Pope Francis, that he's got more important things to worry about, like climate change and protecting immigrants, I don't know where I go with my questions. I don't know where to go. To look for absolution. Am I going to confess my sins? Are you going to confess confess your sins behind a screen or face to face? Seeking the sacrament of reconciliation to someone that you don't know if you can trust to be any less of a sinner than you are? I mean, that's where we are with this. The Pope has a bigger agenda. He's got to get on with other things of talking about the environment and uh, protecting uh, migrants and carrying on the work of the church. We're not going to go down a rabbit hole on this. That's the Archbishop of Chicago. Would you say your confession to him when he's telling you that the Holy Father himself isn't concerned about the sexual abuse of children because he's worried about the environment and about immigrant immigrant plights right now? Jim in West Park has been on hold the longest. Uh, Jim, thanks for waiting. You're on the air. Go ahead. Now you know why the bishop is the, the more, one of the most strongest positions on the chessboard. If you ever get into that game, you'll understand this. But let me go to my point. i got two points today. Yes, sir. Um, there's another aspect uh, dealing with pedophilia and uh, homosexual. There's a heterosexual priest who preys on maybe a uh, young divorced woman or a woman that just had a, an abortion and feels bad. Or maybe a family uh, that uh, they're going through some troubled uh, marital problems. So there is the other aspect of the heterosexual priest that uh, there has been abuse abuse uh, um, taking place. Okay. Now my other comment was I told you I wrote I, I read that book Liars, Leakers, and, and Liberals, and I got this other book called Compromised, and in there the same actors that are on the stage now with this, um, this Mueller um, matter, 
it's a it's a matter. Mueller. Uh, well, uh, let me let me Jim Jim let me let me jump in, my friend, because I I, I I want you to call me back about that part of this tomorrow. I want to stay on the first point you made about the church. Um, it's a good one. <clears throat> No one, at least to my knowledge, is suggesting that it's only homosexual priests who are preying upon altar boys. Uh, there are just members of the the clergy, men of the cloth, uh, who are preying on children, not males and females, by the way. They're pedophiles, talking about the ones who are abusing children. They're pedophiles. It's not about their sexual orientation, per se. It's about the fact that they prey on children. You are also correct, in, however, in saying there are, there are victims of sinful priests who, uh, who prey on women, adults as well, and use them in their vulnerable states, as you say, coming off of terrible things, whether it be divorces or you know, other situations that are there as well. All of these things need to be brought to light, and all of these things need to be held accountable. All of these people, rather, need to be held accountable. A caller to the Hewitt program when I was on suggested the way that we can deal with this as parishioners and as members of congregations, is to affect them in the only way they will understand it. And that is to rob them of what that, that which they hold most dear. And it is cynical to say it, but that's money. There's a reason they pass around that basket every, every Mass. There's a reason they ask you to add to it with other envelopes during the year. There's a reason why they take those collections. And that money doesn't all go to your local parish so that they can put in new carpeting in their church or they can uh, in, improve the, uh, the, the, the look or the aesthetics or buy a new altar. It's not all local. That money goes to Rome. That, run, that money goes to the Vatican. And if the Vatican is not going to take steps to protect our children and hold accountable and weed out those sitting members of the clergy... And those in senior church positions like bishop and cardinal who are covering up for them, if that, if, if the leadership will not take those steps, we will not fund their leadership any longer. As a caller, uh, again, to Hugh said to me, force them to sell off priceless articles and artifacts that are, that are kept in the Vatican, in Vatican City. Sell them off. Pay for your attorney's fees who are defending these abusers and the protectors of the abusers yourselves. We're not going to fund that until we know that you are weeding out all of these who are responsible for the predation on children and those who have covered up those predatorial activities. We aren't funding you. Let that basket go by every hand in every mass. Return it to the usher empty. And let that be the case for weeks, months, however long it takes until they get the message. We better reform ourselves. Institutional purification is needed. And sometimes it is, it is only, that message is only received in, in the strongest possible terms. When the funds go away, when the revenues dry up, they'll get the message. Middleburg Heights is our next stop. Ed, thank you for waiting. You're on AM 1420, The Answer. Go ahead, sir. Hey, Bob, that goes into what you talked about, goes into what I want to say. You know, if you like your local church, you like the pastor, you like your associates that are there, um, there is a way to not let your money go further than your local church. They always put an envelope in there for maintenance of your church. None of that money goes to the diocese or further on. That stays right with your local church. That's that's good advice. That's good advice. Um, so, I, 
I, I don't I don't I didn't know that to be honest with you about there was a special maintenance envelope. Uh, I know it's that certain times there are appeals. Oh, oh, okay, so it's in the it's in the monthly packet that you get then. If you look in there, it says for maintenance of our church. You donate into that. My pastor told me it never goes any further than our church. Because that's said, that's good to support, know. So try that. That helps. Then that's good to know. Still being getting money. Yeah, I appreciate that, and that is important. Of course, you know, the other part of that is, well, I don't want to go too far. I don't want to go too far. We, it, It's just there's so much we don't know. Uh, I'll trust your pastor who told you that that money stays there. If it does, great. Without wanting to go too far, though, I would question. If your local pastor at your local parish knows he is responsible for turning over X amount of income, X amount of revenue, X amount of donations, X amount of charity to the diocese, which then has to answer to uh, higher ups at, at, uh, at the Vatican, um, if the regular money is not coming in by way of church donations, and it would appear that perhaps this particular priest has lost his ability to influence his flock, might he take the funds from a maintenance envelope and send that on because they have to turn something over or else it's on them? I, I, like I said, I don't want to go too far and accuse anybody of those kinds of dishonest things, but we are talking about very, very serious times right now and very, very different times. It's hard for us to, to, to fathom. Vicki is in Strongsville. You're on AM 1420, The Answer. Vicki, go right ahead. Yes, thank you. Um, I have a slightly different observation here. I okay. think that um, Archbishop Kupich's, um, or Supich more correctly, his point of view, his ideology, reflects sadly what is present in the Catholic Church, even among the laity, and that is not a full understanding of the dignity and respect for human life as being the highest form of God's creation on earth and the uniqueness of human life. If he could say that the environment, plants, animals, whatever, are more important and should be focused on by the Pope more so than a rabbit hole of worrying about human life and children... That is a fundamentally flawed reasoning, which flies in the face of everything that's in the catechism. And the further tragedy of this, we had a near miss here a year ago in November of 17. He was one of the leading candidates to head the Conference of Catholic Bishops Pro-Life Committee. And he was narrowly defeated by only eight points by Archbishop Neumann of Kansas City, who was a very conservative and traditional, genuinely pro-life archbishop. So if there's any light at the end of the tunnel here regarding him, I would say thanks be to God that he was not elected head of that pro-life committee, because his comments recently, which you are quoting, shows a clear misunderstanding in the hierarchy of the dignity of life on earth. Yes, as Genesis tells us, we're to be stewards of God's creation. We protect animal and plant life and our environment when we can. Absolutely. That's our obligation. But the higher goal of God's creation was human life because of our intellect and free will. And it's regrettable to see how Cardinal Supich has exercised his free will. Um, Vicki, let me uh, say this in response. Um, two things. One, I agree with every word you just said. Uh, I think that's a very good analysis of the situation. But the second would be to ask you, just from a devil's advocacy point of view, and I hate using that phrase given the subject matter here, but playing that devil's advocate, what if his argument, the Pope's argument, or, or in this case, um, uh, Archbishop um, uh, Kunich, uh, uh, Supich. Uh, Supich, excuse me, I keep mispronouncing that I myself. I do too. <laughs> I know, it's, it's strange. But anyway, uh, 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 Kupich, or Kupich, um, what if his response would be, 
protecting the environment is protecting human life. Because if we don't take care of the climate change issue, it's going to lead to an end of human life on Earth. Because that's what the left, the political left would say. And I would imagine that's what he would say if you challenged him in the way that you just did. How would you respond? Well, I would say that on record, there have been a great many climatologists and scientists of various persuasions who have argued the climate change um, approach, which I think you've commented upon. Mm -hmm. And I think you have to, in that extent, go to the science and go to the controversy that exists on this whole nonsense that climate change is that extreme that it's going to endanger human life on the planet. That's debatable. That's not an absolute. If he tried to present that as an absolute statement, I think there's a great many things that can be cited to refute that. In fact, the statements um, going back a few years, if you recall, where a whole host of scientists signed the document arguing that point, that they disagreed with climate change, it's not an, a, an absolute statement. It's being sold as that, but that's not the truth. I think that's very well said. That's, that's a great response, because one thing we do know is absolute. One thing we don't do know is true is that these children who are being abused, their lives are being put in peril. Uh, and I'm not suggesting they would be, you know, quote unquote, murdered by their abusers. But you understand the point. Uh, children who suffer sexual abuse. And I can't even imagine. That's just in general. Sexual abuse at the hands of a stranger is one thing. Stra- sexual abuse at the hands of a family member is another. Sexual abuse at the hands of a parent, quite another. Sexual abuse at the hands of a member of the clergy that they put their trust in. I cannot begin to try to comprehend, thank God above, that I can't imagine this because I wouldn't want to, what kind of psychological impact it has on these kids and their ability to live after that. I can only imagine the, the number of suicides uh, that have been attempted and or succeeded or, or successfully executed, uh, pardon that use of words, um, because of that. It's 951. We'll get a check of our traffic here. Come right back. Uh, take more of your phone calls on AM 1420, The Answer. Now the Bob France Authority continues at AM 1420. The answer will go right back to the phones, BJ in North Olmstead, as we continue to discuss this very, very precarious moment in time for the Catholic Church. BJ, go ahead. Thank you, Bob. I hope you'll give me a few moments. One of the things I'd like to point out is that we are all people on this planet. I have come to the conclusion, going into my ADH year, that I believe in a creator. That's the best I can do. If you really think about it, look at the people that are in the Democratic Party that are Catholics, and that party, how it goes for abortion and supports it, and even euthanasia, and all the evil, pornography, homosexuality. Why are these Catholics in the Democratic Party that believes that, number one? So we're talking about the foibles of humans and people, and that's what these priests are. These are not saints or angels that come down from, from heaven. If we had saints and angels with their wings on, uh, holding mass, that might be a whole different thing. But we have to understand, we are dealing with ourselves, people, humanity, the foibles of humanity. And no matter what we want to say, the Pope is a human. And unfortunately, he's a socialist, and he believes in these things. And before long, you will hear this Pope come out supporting, if he hasn't already, homosexuality. It's something we should accept. We are accepting more decadence on our own. We don't have to have any outside sources. And that's why I do believe in the Creator. I pray to Him every morning. I thank God for the gift of my life and my family. That's the best I can do. I can no longer go in for all these ritualistic things that are going on. There are wonderful priests that have been out there doing good things, and there have been uh, 
ministers and nuns and a lot of good people. There are people that are saints that do things unknown to, to our humanity. But we are in an awakening period. I've said this on your show many times, both politically and spiritually, we're in an awakening period. And I think we have to handle it with reality. We are not dealing with priests. We're dealing with homosexuals and pedophiles that got into the priesthood and have brought down the, the, the concept of Catholicism. The Greek Orthodox Church has had priests marrying for years, and I think there should be enough of this. Well, I've said enough, and I thank you for your time, Bob. Be, yeah, no problem, BJ. Thank you for your phone call, and I and I do understand a lot of what you're saying, and I agree with a lot of what you're saying. They are human beings, and they are, uh, you know, they they have all of the trappings and the failures of all human beings. Nobody is suggesting that they are anything less than human or more than human. They are not divine. However. The church has taught us since birth and through generations of new births going back, you know, for 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 as as far back as the church, you know, it, it was founded. We have been told that these men of the cloth and these sisters uh, in, in the convent, that they are representatives of God's word on earth. They may be human, yes, but they have dedicated their lives to God and thus should be trusted as such, as the people that we go to for spiritual guidance. These are the people that we go to, particularly speaking of priests once again, for reconciliation. We confess our mortal sins. We ask for absolution from God through his messenger, the priest. So yes, we do have to recognize they are you know, fallible human beings. Many of them are sinners. Many of them are worse than that. But that's hard for us to do. What do we do then? What do we do? Do we cease trusting them to give us absolution? Do we cease going to listen to them preach and give sermons and homilies? Do we cease the reception of the holy body and blood of Christ because of this? Because that's what the Catholic Church is facing now. The Catholic Church is being faced with a choice. Do congregants go and listen to these people wondering where they get their marching orders and whether or not we can trust what they're telling us? Or do we just simply continue to pay respect to God and speak with him in our own ways? That's what I meant at the first hour when I said our church is at a crossroads. It truly is. Hour number two coming up. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.